Psalm 106, we are continuing our study of God's word here in the Psalms, particularly those Psalms that talk about what it means to be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed, happy, uh, fulfilled in life? Uh, This Psalm uh, has just one little verse out of 48 verses, I think, uh, that talks about what it means to be blessed, and we're going to put that in its broader context. So let's read the entire Psalm, Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron... The Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands." Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips." They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. 
Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, Citizen Kane, Orson Welles' 1941 film, opens with the elderly Charles Foster Kane on his deathbed. And Citizen Kane, or Charles Foster Kane, is holding a snow globe, and he utters a word, Rosebud, and then he dies. And that's how the movie begins. The globe slips from his hand and smashes on the floor. Now the rest of the movie flashes back, and it's an entire movie beginning from the time that Charles Foster Kane was a child all the way up, back up to that present day when he's on his deathbed. And we're flashing back in this movie to figure out what in the world did this dying man mean when he said Rosebud as he died. So Citizen Kane is a flashback movie. You've seen, there's, there's many examples of flashback movies where the, the opening scene is actually the ending of the movie and you're flashed back throughout the movie to get back to that spot. Other examples are Titanic, uh, Saving Private Ryan, and Forrest Gump. These are all flashback movies. Well, in interpreting this psalm, you're wondering what in the world does Citizen Kane have to do with Psalm 106, or Forrest Gump for that matter. But uh, Psalm 106 is what I would call a flashback psalm. When you read the first five verses uh, and uh, then read the rest of the psalm, you begin to wonder, I know I did when I first read it, to sit down to study what this psalm was all about. Uh, what in the world do these first five verses have to do with the rest of the psalm? And, and, and for that matter, what do these first five verses have to do with one another? They seem disjointed. You have there in verse 1 where we're called to give praise and thanks to the Lord for his goodness and steadfast love. And then verse 2 asks the question that underscores the fact that our praise and thanks fall far short when we consider how much the Lord has actually done for us. So there's a, a call to worship, a call to praise. And then verse 3 seems to jump to a different theme altogether. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. It's like he, he is talking about praise and worship, and then now obviously he's talking about being blessed because you do the right thing. And then you get to verse 4 and 5. And they form a prayer out of the blue. A prayer that asks God uh, to include the psalmist and whoever sings this psalm in the number of those people who are shown favor by God, to be included in God's people. He wants all the benefits of being part of the people who belong to God. And then, of course, you have the rest of the psalm after that. Verse 6 and following is just a, a litany of the sins of 
the people of Israel from the time of the Exodus when they were at the shores of the Red Sea all the way up through into the period of the Judges uh, and, and maybe even further than that. And it's all re- a rehearsal of the sins of God's people and how God dealt with them during those periods, those, those times. Now, as I said before, how in the world are these verses, these first five verses related to 6 through 48, and, and how are verses 1 through 5 related to one another? And I think the only way that we can really understand truly what 1 through 5 is saying is to consider that this is a flashback song. What we have in verses 1 through 5 are the end result. This is the, the response that we're supposed to have as we consider verses 6 through 48. As we think about God's forgiveness, his faithfulness in spite of unfaithfulness, then we come back to 1 through 5 and we can see, which we will do in a moment, why the psalmist is calling us to worship, why the psalmist would say, blessed are the righteous, why the psalmist is saying, Lord, include me in those people who receive your favor. Well, let's begin uh, with the flashback portion, and that is verse uh, 6. He begins by saying there, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Now, when we uh, read or sing this psalm, of course, the psalm was designed to be sung, uh, we cannot simply see it as a history of the rebellious people of the past, particularly Israel in this case. The psalmist himself includes himself in with these sinners. He says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. So when we read this or sing this, we need to see ourselves in this psalm. And of course, we weren't at the Red Sea. Uh, We uh, were not wandering in the desert, and we weren't trying to uh, conquer Canaan as the people in the Old Testament were. But we can see ourselves in many of the statements here in this psalm. Look at verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Now, that so clearly describes us in many ways. God has been faithful to us. God has done wonderful things for us. And we forget. We forget. And God knows we forget. He's actually given us the Lord's table to remind us of his greatest act of redemption. Do this in remembrance of me, Christ said. Remember his, his death. Remember uh, all that it signifies. He knows that we have a tendency to forget. And so he gives us reminders. And that's what he's doing here. He's reminding us that we are people who forget. We don't remember the abundance of his steadfast love, but we have rebel hearts. We turn away from the Lord and we go our own way. We want to do what we want to do, forgetting that he's our loving Heavenly Father. Does that describe you? It describes me, I know. Verse 13, also along those same lines, says, They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. 
You know, sometimes people will pray desperate prayers when they're in trouble, and they'll say things like, Oh, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I will. And then they list off a bunch of things. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll pray every day. I'll read my Bible. Maybe you've made those rash vows in the past, but, you know, it's a a matter of course that sooner or later we forget those vows that we've made, and we go right back and do the same things over and over again. And that was true of the children of Israel, and it's true of us as well. Look at verse 21. Again, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. And verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Uh, They were on the edge uh, of the promised land, and they sent the spies over, the ten spies, and and all the spies said, oh, the people are too big, It's, it's a waste of time, we need to go back to Egypt. Only Joshua and Caleb had faith and believed that God would indeed give the land to them. And this is what the psalmist is saying. They despised the pleasant land. They would rather go back to slavery. They did not have faith in his promise. And isn't that so of us as well? God has given us many precious promises in his word, and we we tend to say, I don't see how that could ever be. And we rebel against the Lord and despise his promises. And we murmur against God. And don't obey his voice. Look at verse 35. They mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. So they were supposed to drive the people out of Canaan, but they didn't. They weren't faithful to do so. And they ended up serving their idols, verse 36, which became a snare to them. And that's the ugly history that they have uh, of of idolatry. Uh, That came to a head in the exile. Uh, The reason that they were kicked out of the land uh, was because of their idolatry mainly. And then look at verse 43. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. You know, we, we tend to find the, uh, endure the consequences of our sin and, and we think, wow, I, I really need to change and, and maybe we change for a time. We're brought low through our iniquities and God continues to deliver us, but... We just ignore that or forget what God has done for us. So we see here, and these are just a few of the examples in this psalm, human unfaithfulness. Human unfaithfulness. We have a tendency to be unfaithful. But God, what we see as well, on the other hand, is faithful. God is faithful, and that's what shines through here. Look at verse 8, where in verse 7 he's talked about how the people were unfaithful, uh, they did not remember his steadfast love, but rebelled against uh, uh, the Lord. It says in verse 8, Yet he saved them for his name's sake. In spite of their rebellion, in spite of their, their lack of faith, in spite of their forgetting God and, and are ready to run back to the Egyptians, God still is faithful. He still keeps his promises. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deepest through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Despite themselves, God saved them because he was faithful to his people. And look down at verse 43. 
And this is my favorite one. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. Isn't that a wonderful verse? And that describes us how unfaithful we can be to the Lord and even be brought low through our iniquity and find ourselves in all kinds of terrible consequences because of our sin. If we cry out to the Lord, nevertheless, he will look upon our distress. Verse 45, For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. So he provided a way. And he, and he lays it at the, uh, the, the reason that he uh, does this, he says, is because of the covenant. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. He has made a, a promise to his people. That's how God relates to human beings, through covenant. We see it through, throughout all the scriptures from the very beginning. God makes certain promises, and God promises to be uh, 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 the God of his people, and that those people are his people, and they have this relationship, and that they're bound by a covenant relationship, kind of like marriage. In fact, the, the relationship we have as Christians with the Lord is compared to a marriage throughout Scripture, Ephesians 5, uh, the book of Hosea, and, and other places as well. So God has bound himself to his people through covenant. And no matter how unfaithful they are, God remains faithful. He cannot be anything but faithful. And that's what we see shining through here, God's faithfulness in the face of our unfaithfulness. And he, and he says, uh, he relented according, this is verse 45, he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. That word, Steadfast love is a very special word in the Old Testament. It means more than just steadfast love. It means this devotion, this, this bond, this loyal love that God has for his people because he's in covenant with them. It's unfailing kindness. And it's based on this relationship. Now when you think about what the body of this psalm is saying, Time and again, these people are unfaithful, 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 and God keeps saving them. God keeps hearing them. God keeps loving them in spite of themselves. Now we go back to verses 1 through 5. What does it say there? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he's this way. Give thanks to the Lord. Don't forget all that he's done. Give him thanks. For he is good, and his steadfast love, his chesed, his devotion, his covenant love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? It's not sufficient. It's beyond belief almost that God would treat us this way, loving us in spite of our sinfulness not throwing us out, not rejecting us, but continuing to pursue us. Do you realize that? If you're a believer today, maybe you've fallen into some grievous sin. God is pursuing you. He will continue to pursue you. Why will you run away from such wonderful, steadfast love and a patient God 
who is worthy of all praise. So the psalmist is anticipating this when he begins the psalm. He knows what he's about to write about, and he just wants you to get caught up in the wonder and glory of it, and to praise the Lord and give thanks to him because of who he is and how he treats his people. And then verse 3. Of course, we've been doing this series on blessing, and we're not really focusing in on that as much today, but here it is, verse 3. Why would he say this? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. And what he's talking about, righteousness and justice, they're synonyms. Uh, They mean similar things. To do what's right. To do what God says is right. Now, in our day and time, a lot of people like to say, uh, what's right for me may not be right for you. And what's right for you may not be right for me. Well, that's nonsense. God defines what's right, and God defines what's just. He tells us what those things are. And if we observe those things, if we are righteous ourselves or seek to be righteous ourselves, we've already seen in the rest of the psalm that we have a tendency not to be, and we will fall far short. But the more righteous we are, the more we observe justice and, and promote justice for others and live righteously ourselves, the more we'll be blessed. Look at the example of the Israelites. They turned away from God. They turned away from doing what he had commanded. And time and time again, it got them into trouble. Time and time again, their lives became miserable because of their sin. And the same is true for you and me. When we uh, go down the course of sin that we so enjoy, we're not blessed. Our Our lives are disasters because of our sinfulness and this psalm points it out. And that's why the psalmist says that here. Don't be like those people. Or as the Bible says in other places, don't be like the horse who needs a bit or bridle to make him go in the right direction. Go there willingly. Learn the lesson from history. If we resist doing what God requires, it will not go well for us. And that causes the psalmist in verses 4 and 5 to cry out, Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. I think he recognizes that he needs saving. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. He thinks about, in verses 1 and 2, the the glorious love, the steadfast love that God has for his people. And then he's thinking about, man, you're blessed if you will just do what God says to do. But Lord, I need some help. I need saving. I can't be perfectly righteous. But I pray that you would save me along with all your people. And that we might witness that prosperity, that blessedness that comes to those people who are your people that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. That word inheritance is important. God's people are his inheritance. They belong to him, just like your inheritance does, that you got from your parents or whomever you, your rich aunt. (laughs) You know, if if you inherit something, it belongs to you, it's yours, and you get to enjoy it. And that's the way God feels about his people. We are his inheritance. We belong to him. Now this should be our prayer as we think about it. 
The wonderful thing that we have in this scripture is that we see here uh, another place that righteousness is mentioned. Um, we, we see that in the account of Phineas that's mentioned here in the scripture. Verse 30, um, there was a plague, there was, uh, all the people were weeping because of the consequences of their sin. They had intermarried and, and here comes a fellow with a, uh, one of the Midianite women, and in front of everybody, he goes to his tent with this woman. And Phineas stands up because this is the problem that they'd been having. And he spears them to the ground and makes atonement for the people. He intervened. Now, we can't make atonement for our own sins. We don't, through violence, make atonement. But God has already provided a perfect sacrifice of atonement for us. Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us willingly on the cross. We have a more perfect atonement now. And that guarantees the relationship that we have with God. If we're putting our trust in what Christ has done for us, then we're his people. We belong to him and we're secure. He has bought us with a price, a very great price, the price of his own dear son's life. And that should make you and me cry out to the Lord for salvation and praise the Lord for his faithfulness to us. So today, no matter where you are, whether you have strayed, cry out to the Lord, come back to him. He is steadfast in his love. If you don't know the Lord, if, you're, if you've never uh, cried out to the Lord or don't have a relationship with the Lord, well, he's there. All you have to do is call upon him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I encourage you to do that today. Come to the Lord. Renew your commitment to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement that this word is. Thank you for your steadfast love, Lord, that that is beyond our comprehension. Lord, we could never be as faithful as you are. Um, when people hurt us, Lord, we, we either write them off or seek revenge. We thank, thank you that you're not that way, that you forgive us and cleanse us. There's that wonderful nevertheless, you rescue us. Lord, I pray that you would rescue all of us today. Continue the work that you've begun in us. If you have begun that work, and if you haven't begun that work, Lord, we pray that you would begin that work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.